Good morning, Deep Run. Today we're going to be reading from Psalm 39. I said, I will guard my ways, that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle, so long as the wicked are in my presence. I was mute and silent. I held my peace to no avail, and my distress grew worse. My heart became hot within me. As I mused, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. O Lord, make me know my end, and what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. I am mute. I do not open my mouth, for it is you who have done it. Remove your stroke from me. I am spent by the hostility of your hand. When you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. Surely all mankind is a mere breath. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears, for I am a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers. Look away from me that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. This is God's word. Psalm 39, at first glance, is a bit difficult to grasp, but it's a gift. It's a gift to anybody who is actively pursuing the God of the Bible because it it illustrates how to process our raw emotions, our chaotic thoughts, in a crisis, going through adversity or a conflict. So I'm a verbal processor. I kind of, I have to think things out loud. I talk ideas through. I come to conclusions by talking and, and not quite sounding coherent. And, and, you know, verbal processing is fun when you're in a brainstorming session at work. But verbal processing is perilous in a conflict. In a heated conflict, verbal processing gets you into a lot of trouble and you end up saying things that later on you, you really wish you could take back. And so in intense times, in divisive days, like the days we're living in, uh, we would do well uh, to borrow an expression, uh, talk less, smile more, or uh, really talk less, think more. Talk less, think more. And I think the missing element in our responses uh, to the world of today, to our lives and all of our troubles, the missing element is meditation. 
meditation. So we've talked about meditation before because we look at the Psalms every summer. And and one of the gifts of the Psalms is understanding how to meditate in faith. And you've heard, heard me say before, meditation is turning over in your mind God's truth until it changes you. Letting God's truth reverberate in your mind, in your thinking, as you speak it to yourself throughout your day, throughout your life, until it changes you. Uh, Tim Keller said that uh, while prayer is talking to God, meditation is talking to yourself about God. Uh, Now, the idea for today is this. Internal meditation is a necessary prerequisite to external responses. If you don't know what I mean by prerequisite, Prerequisite is like the part one before the part two, right? If, you, if you're going to watch the second movie, you have to see the first movie. Um, if, if you're going to take Biology 201, the prerequisite is Biology 101, okay? Another way of saying that is wisdom before words. Wisdom before words. Internal meditation is a necessary prerequisite to external responses, how we speak, how we act. And I want to walk us through, as we look at David's prayer in Psalm 39, I want to walk us through his internal struggle and then his external struggle, our internal struggles, our external struggles, struggles, and finally, the greatest struggle. Internal struggle, external struggle, and then the greatest struggle. Now, the internal struggle is your starting point. It's where David starts. Now, we have to make sense of what's happening inside of David. He was a mess, just like you and I often are in times of crisis, when we're struggling, when we're suffering, when we're dealing with the consequences of our actions or what other people have done or said. He was a mess. Uh, And and he reveals to us in verse 1 the background of the situation. Listen to verse 1. I said, I will guard my ways that I might not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a, with a muzzle, so long as the wicked are in my presence. Now that's interesting. He's revealing that if he had spoke, there were unfriendly ears all around who would misunderstand what he was saying, might even misconstrue his words, might even misappropriate his intentions. And so he resists the temptation to speak. He resisted the temptation for a time, and actually, by remaining silent, it made his inner struggle even worse, right? Look at verses 2 and 3. He says, I held my peace to no avail, and my distress grew worse. My heart became hot within me. As I mused, the fire burned. Now, the Hebrew word there for mused, it's also a word that's translated in the Old Testament as meditate. The word muse there can also be understood as meditate. He's meditating. In his silence, he's meditating. But by keeping silent, he's, <laughs> it, 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 he's, just, he's like a pot about to boil over. And here's his response. He does boil over. He finally bursts. He finally speaks. But listen to this. Not to people. He doesn't blow up at people. He blows up to God. He starts to pray. Look at verses 3 and 4. Then I spoke with my tongue, O Lord, make me know my end. 
And what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. Now, scholars say that what he's doing here is both a lament and it's wisdom literature. It's a lament in the style of wisdom literature. Um, you know how in, in the book of Ecclesiastes, the, the teacher keeps saying meaningless, meaningless, life is meaningless, vanity, everything is a vanity, what's the point of everything? Uh, that existential conversation. Well, actually, David is kind of doing a similar thing here. Uh, if you look at verse 5, uh, he says that all of mankind is like a breath. The word breath there is the same Hebrew word that you see as vanity and meaningless in the book of Ecclesiastes. Just like the man Job, uh, David, in his suffering, is, is philosophizing and complaining. This is philosophy, and it's a complaint all at the same time. He's really saying two things. He's saying, life is short after all, and, and it's good to measure the brevity of our life and have that perspective while we struggle. It's good to struggle in light of the fact that we all know life is short, right? He's saying that, but he's also saying, life is short, so why do I have to suffer, right? He ends the psalm by saying, look away from me. God, look away from me that I might smile again before I depart and am no more, right? Let up. I'm, I don't want to deal with this anymore. My life is so short. But watch this. In verse 7, here's where you see a turn. In verse 7, he says, and now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. John Calvin said that, that it's really here that David begins to pray aright. His jumbled thoughts, his toxic emotions that he was silencing uh, through meditation have produced authentic prayer. It's through, it's through the crucible of meditation, of silent meditation, that now he's ready to pray in an honest and more ordered way. And actually, in verses 9 and 10, you discover his motivation to why he had been silent in the very beginning. I do not open my mouth, for it is you who have done it. Remove your stroke from me. I am spent by the hostility of your hand. Wow. Now we discovered why he was silent in the first place. He is angry. David's angry that God is disciplining him. But he didn't want the wicked to know. He's having a personal conflict with his heavenly father, and he didn't want his enemies to know it. Now, this is not a cover-up. David's trying to honor God's reputation. Even in his pain, even in his frustration, he's trying to honor his heavenly father. David saw his internal struggle primarily as a family issue. He's saying, I'm struggling, I'm wrestling with God, but this is a family matter, and I'm going to keep it within the family. David regarded his private, troubled thoughts kind of like dirty laundry. Right? Think about it. Um, he believed, you know, look, dirty laundry is fine for airing out in the house, but, but you, don't, you don't show your neighbors your, dirt, your dirty laundry. David's inner struggle uh, was appropriate before his heavenly father, but it was inappropriate for others to see. 
Dirty laundry is fine within the house, but, but it's inappropriate for other people to see it and smell it. To borrow a phrase from C.S. Lewis, it's all right in its native place, but it looks tawdry out of doors. The Psalms show us, and especially Psalm 39, that God invites our doubts and our complaints as we struggle to accept our suffering and particularly his disciplining of us. He's a loving father and he's the perfect disciplinarian and he can handle our complaints and our doubts if you're not a believer of the God of the Bible. He he does not come to us in his discipline as, as an enemy, but as a friend, as a loving parent. He says, I can take it. I know I'm disciplining you, but come to me with your complaints and with your frustrations. I can deal with it. I may not change my mind, but I can handle it. You see, meditation and prayer Provide for the believer a safe zone. A safe zone in the house of our Heavenly Father to work through our messes. Whatever your mess is, prayer and meditation provide you with a healthy space to work it out in the presence of your Heavenly Father. The internal struggle must happen first because it reinforces this family relationship, this parent-to-child dynamic which you desperately need. And only from this inner struggle can we produce a healthy external outcome in whatever the situation is, whatever the dynamic is. Inner struggle must precede the external outcome. So the external struggle is where your response intersects with the people around you. David, now David kept silent It's important to realize this. David kept silent because he hadn't yet gained a healthy perspective. That's critical to realize. Now listen, don't think that just keeping quiet is productive. Not necessarily. Bitterness can devour you up inside, right? And then when you least expect it, blow up and devour the people around you. Silence alone is not necessarily productive. You have to use your silence productively, redemptively, through meditation, right? Right. Letting God's truth turn over in your mind until it changes you. Use your silence productively through meditation so that what really happens is you're sifting out the impurities in your thinking uh, and, and, and in your emotions. You're sifting it all out before you act, before you speak. So that your response is more more pure. As Proverbs chapter 16 tells us in a couple of places, whoever gives thought to the word uh, or to the matter, to a thing, whoever gives thought to the word will discover good. And blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. Or the heart of the wise makes his speech, speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. David's progress here in this psalm, his progress from internal chaos to ordered despair. Yeah, I said ordered despair. He's still struggling. He's he's still a hot mess, but it's an ordered despair. He's starting to put his emotions and his ideas into order. Right? So, so what we see in Psalm 39 is his progress from internal chaos to ordered despair, and it shows us that meditation really does help. 
meditation guided by our faith in this God really functionally functionally helps us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book Life Together has a great section on meditation. What it really is, how it works, what it's for, what it is not. I really encourage you to read that. Here's just a small portion of what he says about meditation. It is not necessary that we should be concerned in our meditation to express our thought and prayer in words. Unphrased thought and prayer may often be more beneficial. Right? That's important to realize that meditation doesn't have to be coherent. It doesn't have to be well-ordered. It doesn't have to look like something you read out of a journal. Uh, meditation, can, uh, meditation can be groans in your spirit. As you wrestle with God over what's going on in your life, guided by the truth of his word. So Bonhoeffer said, unphrased thought and prayer may often be more beneficial. In meditation, God's word seeks to enter in and remain with us. It strives to stir us, to work and operate in us, so that we shall not get away from it the whole day long. Then it will do its work in us, often without our being conscious of it. The goal of meditation is really to find your hope and joy in the Lord. How did David put it in in verse 7? And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. This is after he has meditated on the shortness of his own life and the frustration he's dealing with because of God's discipline. So, here's the takeaway for today. Meditate. Bring, bring meditation back into your life, and if you've never done it before, introduce it into your habits. Meditate, and what I mean is practice internal faith before you externally respond. Internal faith before your external responses. So, before you speak, tense situation, conflict, whatever the issue is, Uh, whatever you're struggling through, before you speak. And and I've got to say it, especially nowadays, before you post, right, on social media, because that's kind of the, that's the ocean many of us are swimming in now, um, as well as our, you know, face-to-face conversations. Uh, Before you post or, or respond to a post or share a post, before you speak, before you act, ask yourself two questions. Is what I'm about to say is what I'm about to share, is what I'm about to do glorifying to God? And is it edifying to others? Does it honor God? Does it, even if it's critical, does it bless others? If you cannot answer both of those questions productively, you shouldn't be saying it. You shouldn't be doing it. Let me say it this way. Give God his due in your mind before you give others a piece of your mind. And that will season your external struggles uh, with other people, uh, with your opponents and adversaries, with your family, with with your brothers and sisters in Christ. This will season our external struggles with salt. And and we can, even in our frustration, even in, in our suffering and our conflicts, become the aroma of Jesus to one another and to those who don't know him. 
we are a, here's the bad news, we are a spiritually undisciplined bunch of people. You know, we're fit, we're, we're ripped, we're in shape with our sports and, and our gaming and our movies and our current events and our theology and our activism and our music and our hobbies and whatever, right? We're ripped and fit in all of those ways, but we're flabby. We are atrophied with the spiritual disciplines of silence and patience and meditation and prayer. And so, so in, because we're out of shape in these ways, we prematurely vomit the putrid contents of our disordered thoughts and our raw emotions before seeking God in prayer and meditation. In Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18 says, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but... The tongue of the wise brings healing. You see, a wise person heals herself and heals others, not only with fitting words, but also with fitting restraint. Restraint is often a struggle, as David shows us in the beginning of this psalm. And and the good news is that the greatest struggle ever, both internally and externally was met by the Son of God. Jesus Jesus is the eternal Word of God, the Bible says. God's own wise self-expression. You want a piece of God's mind? You want to know what God is really like? Look at Jesus. Listen to Jesus. In Jesus, the eternal wisdom of God became a human being. And though Jesus' speech always gives light and life and truth and freedom to those who receive it, it was Jesus' silence that brought us peace and reconciliation. Isaiah 53 verse 7 said, He was oppressed and he was afflicted and yet he opened not his mouth. He was like a lamb going to the slaughter, but he remained silent. The Apostle Peter, who was, who, who was in Jerusalem, who had denied Jesus before his execution, uh, the Apostle Peter put it this way, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin. And live to righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. That external struggle, which was witnessed by Jews and Romans, by angels and demons, by the universe itself, was the result of Jesus succeeding at the internal struggle of knowing that his heavenly Father would reject him while he hung on the cross, bearing all of our sins, the sins of the world, of every person and every nation and every people group and every culture, bearing those sins, sweating blood the night before at the thought of being removed from the presence of his heavenly Father. Jesus succeeded in that external struggle because he succeeded in the internal struggle. And he brought us peace 
in his silence, although he had every right to speak. Jesus' disciplined silence brought, brought us peace and reconciliation. His disciplined silence in the presence of his enemies honored God the Father and brought peace to us. So you practice restraint now. You practice restraint even in your distress. Restraint that will honor God and bring healing and edification to those in your life. It's not that you can never speak or ever respond, but when you do, you'll have the right response. The tongue of the wise brings healing. So internal meditation is a necessary prerequisite to external response. So give God his due in your mind before you give others a piece of your mind. And may we, as we follow Jesus, respond like Jesus as we process in faith the troubling events of our lives and of our world. Let's pray. Our God of peace who brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep who was silent like a lamb brought to slaughter. When he could have defended himself and spoke up and brought down with his mouth judgment upon the people who falsely accused him and humiliated him in public at the crucifixion, he did not do that. He surrendered himself. He was the Lion of Judah, but he became the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. Father, even in our distress and our conflict with each other and with the world, and even as you discipline us for the wrongs we have done and thought and said, help us, help us to, to internalize our, our thoughts and emotions productively as we meditate on your truth in our circumstances so that when we do speak and when we do act, our lives will be seasoned with salt that will bring you glory, that will bring good to others. Oh, Father, help us to be wise peacemakers, to be wise dolers of justice and righteousness and mercy and compassion. Teach us to be wise before we speak. Thank you that Jesus was and is, uh, and may we become like him in his name. Amen.